This is CliffCentral.com. Welcome to the Renegade Report. I am Jonathan. And Ramon is present. And uh, thankfully, I've recovered from being slap shitness by Jerry Mansfield last week. You have recovered. You have recu- You sound a bit uh, nasally, though. Yeah, I know. It's still the after effects of... Of being slap shitless. Slap shitless. <laughs> because um, cruelty to animals or something. Because jackals are pests, and apparently he found that deeply offensive. <laughs> and uh, you should be allowed to shoot animals. That's Absolutely. also deeply offensive. Yes, but including look, humans. I, it's a well. I think our guest today we can have a good conversation about hunting, um, and a more reasonable one probably because a lot of my b- views on um, conservation, for example, and how hunting feeds into that, uh, were based on uh, reading this gent's columns. So I think before we go into some long diatribe on our intro, let's just introduce our guest. Finally in studio, none other than Ivo Vechter. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. The only. The only. Arguably, proper journalist. Yes, of the the free market. Who's, who's accused me of being a proper journalist? <laughs> well, fine, improper journalist. It's 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 really great to to read your columns week on week, uh, where there is good research for the things you say, good fact for the things you say. But my only problem with your columns, Ivo, comment section, man. There is no more comment no. section. There was oh. one for a while, and then yeah. that closed down, and yeah. then now there's no more anymore. I miss, I miss it. I miss it on one hand, and I think it brought immense value. Um, Although you did spend many years of your life, I, I'm not even. That's not I, a flippant it, comment. No, no, that that was actually a real issue. That I spent such a long time um, engaging in the comments. Uh, you know, I, I'd argue for days after the yeah. column got published. You know, because you're a, you're a real, really genuine interlocutor. So if someone comes and you know, other than if they're just swearing at you, if someone comes and says, "I don't agree with this point," or "You're wrong on this." Ivo will write a three thousand word response in which he explains the data. I'll go. I'll go and dig into the academic papers and you know see why yeah. see why this argument is wrong or why, or why it's right. You know, I mean, I've had my my, 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 my mind changed on a few. My occasions. favorite comment section was when you basically said the state should force you to vaccinate your children, <laughs> yes. and all our libertarian friends came out and attacked Ivo. Good. Spirits, if I may. I don't yeah. think it was terribly. But I, expe- I, expe- I expected that. But the, but you were like, but the, all the libertarians are like, way attacking me, yeah. and all the letters are like, yes, I know, for the week. <laughs> yeah, that was one of the one of those sort of paradoxical uh, libertarian, mm. well, um, you know, subjects. Do you do you force people to vaccinate? And and you know, a lot of libertarians said, no, well, you can't because you know free choice and this and this and that. Mm. Um, but if you don't, if you let them not vaccinate, then you it's actually, got an external. You, you actually, it's got a, it's got a very serious externality, mm-hmm. you know. And you're seeing, you're seeing today, you're seeing measles outbreaks in the Western world and so on. Yeah, but it's only San Francisco. Um, I think who cares? They're <laughs> <laughs> all lefties anyway, right? Yeah. Um, well, actually, did you see the U.S. is considering? In fact, not considering. It's going to be on the ballot in uh, September, October, uh, November, whenever their their sort of um, elections are this year. Um, <clears throat> they're going to have on the ballot. If people want to split California into three different states. And what reason would they have for that? Well, if you're on the right, you want to split it because the Dem, the Dems basically have held California forever. Yes. And, uh, I, I mean, I think that's going to reverse in the next 30 years, 20 to 30 years, because it's basically a, a toilet, literally. Uh, but 
but um, if you're on the left, and the pr- proposal originally was was from the left, uh, it's a, a guy in Silicon Valley who proposed it, is to uh, con- take control of the Electoral College. So it would split into three states, but they would increase both the number of senators and the number of Electoral College votes held by the three states combined. And the where they're doing the split in terms of borders would still keep all three states blue. So, so it's a bit of so, so supercharged gerrymandering. It's supercharged gerrymandering, <laughs> exactly. But I read a headline saying that um, California will be a North Korean province if they denuclearize. <laughs> no, true story. <laughs> what are you talking about? No, there was a parody of an Associated Press. <laughs> so Kim, Kim Jong-un have, has offered California refuge uh, so, from, so from the tyranny of, of Donald Trump. Of well, Donald I, Trump. I think California right. is already kind of a North Korean province. I mean, you have to ask consent for every stage of sex. It's, it's, <laughs> it's basically, I, I don't think that's much different to North Korea. Oh, no, California is weird. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's one of those states where every product actually has a cancer warning label on it because mm. everything can, in theory, cause cancer. Yeah. Um, and, and California now makes it, you have to warn people about that. It's sad because it's one of those places that I think 20 years ago got as close as humans can kind of get to this idea of utopia, um, which is, of course, unachievable. Is, and this, is this the same time Rodney King was being beaten no, that was, off, that was off. That was the 80s, Ramon, the late 80s. Look, this was, um, look, like, this was the same state where Ronald Reagan was governor. And, he, and what did he do? Back, back in the back what in the, did he do? Back in the late sixties, he, he banned thing you don't assault like. weapons because black people were carrying them around to protect themselves from racist cops. <laughs> so Ronald Reagan, the great conservative bullshit, the great conservative president, governor. not yeah. governor. Um, well, you, sh- you shouldn't trust anyone who tries to be president. I guess. Yeah. yeah so. Um, all right. Well, that that took a funny turn. Well, let's talk about international stuff. You recently uh, got the ire of uh, the. Uh, BDS crew, um, BDSM crew. Yeah, those those guys who who Boy, boycott, disinvest, who, and sanction. Yeah, they don't they don't like to put their money in Israel while they use their iPhones, their Intel computers, and ways and ways and voicemail and a million other things invented in Israel. Um, so you 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 came out uh, batting for Gareth Cliff um, because Gareth had made some comments about. Some violence that had happened on the yes. Israeli Gaza border. I, I think people can read your column. Basically, you went through what he had said, and you said, "Look, based on what he said, it, there was there was nothing incorrect." Yeah, um, no, he, he made he made a very good case. <clears throat> um, I want to talk more about the response you got, and the response was surprisingly mild, actually. Okay, I mean, yes, I had I had some comments from the BDS, and you know, people that said, "Oh, I'm supporting apartheid, and I'm supporting a Nazi regime," and mm-hmm. you know. And, and I've got no empathy for the oppressed peoples of the world and, you know, you know Gaza, Gaza being basically a big refugee camp. And, of course, they're going to rise up and they're going to fight the Israelis, cool. um, which yeah, to an extent, there's a point there, you know, um, this, but this conflict has, has, is, is, has got a long history. Sure. And people forget about that history, you know. So in, in almost no conflict is there a really clear-cut moral case for either side. Yeah. You know, I mean, the last one I can remember where there was really sort of a clear moral uh, moral clarity was World War Two. Absolutely. You know, when you when when you fought the Nazis, and even there, uh, it's debatable because there was a lot of towards the end, especially 
<clears throat> there's a lot of stuff the Allies did in ignoring what the Russians were doing on the other side because it was helpful to have the Russians attacking the Nazis on the one side. Yes, indeed. Um, and, and so. Ironically, Churchill never liked that. Churchill wanted to, to immediately move against Stalin after the mm, Second World War. It was only FDR who really loved Stalin quite a lot, which I find ironic given the Trump this week. Although Stalin and Churchill were great drinking buddies. Mm, so, so, um, yeah, but but the thing is, what, you, you, what you, you, you forget that you know the, the the you have to go all the way back to the creation of the state of Israel, right? And and first question whether or not that was legitimate, right? and you could argue that either way. Um, sure. But the, the the fact is that this was a, a British mandate at the time. Several parts had been portioned off. Uh, Transjordan had been created. Um, the French had Syria and Lebanon. Those those were created separately. It had all been under uh, Ottoman occupation. Mm. And frankly, uh, Palestine had been under various occupations um, since the Roman days. You know, it, well, arguably, Palestine as an entity never, Palestine never as a, existed. Palestine as a state has never existed no. until the late 80s mm. uh, when, when it was created. Yeah. Yeah, I don't want to get too much but, into the Israel but, stuff. But you, know, but, you know, the thing is, is, Israel does have a right to defend itself. Right? Sure. And there is provocation on the part of the Palestinians. You know, when you're lobbing missiles at, at uh, civilians in Israel, right? Expect something to happen. Right? When you whip up people and say we are going to march into Israel, we're going to breach the border and march into Israel and there will be blood, um, then expect something to happen. You know? yeah. um, so you have, to, you have to actually look at both sides and say, well, is this entirely unprovoked? Is this just Israelis shooting at unarmed civilians? Or is, was this in fact an attempt to breach the border and, and a hostile, um, sure. hostile intent? And it was. Sure. Uh, um, um, no disagreement from me. And in well, fact, no, the UN the, this uh, today, I think, rejected a resolution from the US uh, requesting basically that uh, Hamas stop aggressing militarily against uh, Israel and uh, stop amassing violently on the border, etc. But, but it's also it's not only a US position. I mean, people like to think that you know, the US and Israel are so, it's also close. But if you read the European Parliament, they've they've had multiple resolutions that call on exactly that. They do say that Israel should um, uh, limit their use of force; mm. that they should use non-lethal force as a first resort, yeah. etc. Which they should, and frankly, I don't think they did in this case. Um, but it also says. That Hamas has a history of using human shields. Hamas has a history of provocation. They are an internationally recognized terror group, mm. not only by the Western democracies, but also by Egypt and Jordan and, and Saudi Arabia, its neighbors. Um, so it's a fairly widespread view, actually, that um, Hamas is a, a real problem in the area. Tell me, though, when you write a column like that, because you know when you're writing something about Israel, for example – you know the people who are going to support you relatively. You know the people who won't. It can't possibly go well, yeah. <clears throat> and you know there's going to be some blowback. Uh, and I'm sure your editor must have said something to that effect. Um, and similarly with other columns, do you find that it's getting better or worse? You've been writing for decades now. Um, and do you ever feel like maybe you get through to someone that thought another thing and now agrees with with your point of view? I do, you know, and that's one of the reasons I, I keep doing it. Um, I, I used to, back when I had a blog before the whole Daily Maverick thing, um, I used to issue what I called lizard badges because there was this idea that I was one of the lizard people, uh, you know, with Queen Elizabeth and David Icke and yeah, yeah. Uh, I was we we rule we rule the world secretly, right? Um, now you're just a shell for shell. 
I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm sure for anyone that design is sure this week. I'm as sure for anyone that now you are sure for big plastic. Appear to be defending. I've been a Coca-Cola shill. I've been a big oil shill. I've been seriously. If if I actually got money from any of these organizations, from all of these organizations, if you were a shill for all of them, you'd be wealthy. I would be extremely wealthy, and I'd be retiring right now. No, but I, I do change minds, and I, that it's really gratifying to actually get comments back and say, well, you know, I, this made me think, and this made me think that maybe I wasn't right about Israel or about this or about that or about recycling. And, you know, 12 years ago, I used to issue lizard badges to people that told me that they'd, that they'd been convinced um, after holding an, a different position. So it's, it, it does have some impact. Um, does it have a broad impact? Very little, you know. I, I think on occasion I probably have influenced um, policy and and the way people think about things. You know, the fracking thing I got very involved in, and I was very involved with the various policymakers about it. So I might have I might have um, influenced some people there. Um, but very often you feel like you're just pissing into the wind. You know, it's. Yeah, ANC will do what it wants. It, it just, yeah. it just, you know, it's this tribal sort of thing. It's the same with the show, like Ramon just referred to. We know, you know, who's going to generally react well to the show. We know who the supporters are, yeah. the, the, the fans, and and the people who've been listening for a long time. Um, we know the people who will generally react poorly. We know who our trolls are on Twitter and all those types of things. Uh, and what you really want to achieve and, and one of the goals of, of this podcast was to get people to listen to a different perspective perhaps look i think that you know, i think i have well achieved, i think i have achieved that i think that you know i have put data and and logic and reasoning mm. in front of people and said look you know you can't just you know think about these things emotionally or um, superficially or, I mean, super, the, or superficially the recycling one this week is a great example mm-hmm uh, you want to, you want to, yeah. perhaps if people haven't read that one, do you want to go into that a bit? Yeah, well, Joburg now wants to make, from the 1st of July, wants to make, um, separating at source. So basically separating your, your rubbish at home, um, mandatory in Johannesburg. Yeah. Um, which is kind of odd because, um, it's only about two and a half weeks to go and there aren't really any particular plans as to how this is going to work. Um, and, you know, people are supposed to have their bins ready and so on by the 1st of July. So I don't think much is going to happen. But no. um, it's interesting when you look at, at the, the unseen costs of recycling. Right? You know, people don't think of their time as wasted. They don't think of the fuel they use to, to drive things to, to recycling collection depots. Um, they don't think when you rinse out plastic, which you are requested to do, um, who pays for that water? Who pays for the electricity if you use warm water? You know, this is basically moving a lot of the effort and the cost onto consumers. Now, ironically, this is going to put people out of work. And, and bearing in mind, consumers already pay for, for example, refuse collection. Yes, they do. As part of their rates yes, and taxes. Yes, they do. Right. Right. Now, look, it's, it's very inefficient to do these things on an individual level. You know, if I went and separated all my, all my tin cans and brought them to collect a can, um, I would get cents for it. You know, if if any, um, but if you make a job out of collecting these things, right, you get eight rand a kilo, right. So you, you know, you've, if you don't have a job, that's that's money. And there are a lot of people that actually spend time going through refuse, picking out the tin cans, picking out the the scrap metal, uh, picking out cardboard, um, substantial paper mm. uh, that they can actually sell to recyclers. You know, and there's a market for that. Picking, uh, picking out glass. Absolutely. And you know, now the city are just fucking them. 
Yeah. So all those people that wander around with trolleys that yeah. separate everything. Because I separate at home anyway, and I just give the bag with the recyclable um, material to the guy with the trolley because it's just easier. Yeah, and uh, people say and well. people say the free market doesn't achieve anything. Yeah, Pe- people yeah. people do that. Uh, now what the city of Joburg is doing, you can is motivate recycling perfectly well without making it mandatory. Yeah, um, absolutely. And and without and without implementing it for things where it actually doesn't uh, it, it isn't efficient anymore. <laughs> But there's no incentive. Years ago, I said, if someone doesn't pay you to recycle, then it's probably not worth doing. Yeah. I I mean, the other point you make, which is excellent in the article, is why. As in, why should we recycle? Because there's this notion that, for example, and I'm seeing it everywhere now, we must, uh, the the EU is trying to ban ban, ban, uh, plastic straws. Mm -hmm. And memes. Um, And memes, but we can get to the (laughs) memes later. They're trying to ban plastic straws. They're terrified of memes because memes basically can lead to elections of people they don't like. Oh, yeah, that's terrible. You wouldn't want want people to have independent thoughts. You can't have the wrong people elected. Um, So, but... They want to ban plastic straws because, of course, that is the great blight on earth. It's like people have lost their minds. And then I see the other day someone in South Africa is like, no, sperm must stop giving small children balloons. Um, when they go there because no, Jesus. I shit you not. I must oh, stop no. giving young children balloons because you know there's too many because too many pop, plastics they, they in pop the world. And they end up well, on the side of the road. They, they pop and then well, I assume in this person's head. They pop, they go down some sort of stormwater drain, and then like the cartoon they watched, you know, like Finding Nemo or something, they end up through a sewer and are straight out into the ocean, and then some poor creature dies. Um, um, Entirely possible. Entirely possible. And it it does happen. But now I looked at some stats. Do we actually know how many fish die? Do we even know how many fish there are? (laughs) There are a lot of fish in the ocean. Yeah. Right? As they've always said when you, you know, break, break up with a girl, there's a lot of fish in the sea. Uh, there really are a lot of fish in the sea, right? So when they come in and say, well, we've done some studies and we've done some – they're basically anecdotal studies. They've extrapolated from there to reach numbers that are incredibly widely diverging. Sometimes you hear that a million sea animals die because of plastic ingestion, and sometimes you hear, well, it's only about 100,000. Um, and then even if it's big, a million – How big is that in the big scheme of things? Sure. Right. Uh, in the big scheme of things, it's actually not that much. Right. Now, of course, you want to minimize that, absolutely. But at some point, the cost of doing so becomes prohibitive. Mm. Right. And that's the case with all um, pollution abatement. Right. You absolutely want to, to have less pollution. Right. But the cleaner, the cleaner you try and get, right, the more costly it becomes. And all those costs end up in your consumer products. Right. You and I end up paying for it. Now, you and I might be able to afford it. Hmm. But there are a lot of people, especially in this country, that cannot afford that. Especially the people yeah. who are trying to jump from the lower class to the middle class, for example. Correct. If if cardboard is more expensive than plastic for packaging, right, which it presumably is, that's why they use pack- plastic, um, then that's going to increase the, the the cost of consumer products. Yep. Right? So all of this ends up with a cost. Now, how much of a cost can you bear? And, and people need to see this in perspective. Um, just saying that, look, a, a million fish die. Well, yeah, sure. Is a million a lot? Is it not a lot? And often it isn't. Yeah, and especially what we got uh, when we have uh, people that uh, what was his name? He created a, a bacteria that eats plastic. Oh, there's, yes. there's that. By, and was there's, it, was there's it by that accident? And then that other team. There's a teenager who's doing that one. That that machine, basically, it's a yes. robotic arm. It's a giant I long th- I th- I robotic think, arm. I think there are a lot of technical solutions that mm. people actually um, that people actually overlook. Yeah. Right. They don't target the 
the, the really sort of high-value targets like harbors and places where things collect, right, where you can have one of those wheels and so on, pick up all this rubbish. You can make a real big impact there. You can make a big impact by talking to, to, the, to the big retailers about their packaging and so on. Um, trying to do it on an individual consumer level um, is terribly inefficient. Um, it's sort of like after the fact. Yeah, it's, 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 it's very inefficient. Um, it really doesn't make any economic sense, and that's why they won't pay you to do it. Um, in fact, why they will make you pay to do it. I, I just, I'm just not understanding. This goes to more of a government thing, but I, I, it's another DA type of program. You know, someone the other day described the DA as if they were basically at school, they'd be the hall monitor and I, or a prefect. And yes. I, I think that is the perfect yeah. description of exactly what they are. Absolute nanny, um, the, absolute the, nanny the status. The EFF is, is the sort of bully who the minute you sort of flick him, he, he goes off crying to, to his mommy. Um, and, and the DA is without a doubt the prefect and who wants to know why you're three minutes late for class. Yes. And they ha- there is no reason that this needs to happen. Uh, in as far as I can tell, there's, yeah. there's no Joburg's not exactly clean, but it's not filthy, dirty. No, but especially, but there's a lot of other things you can do about that. Yeah. Sure, why absolutely. You, why don't you actually just tell people to bring the shit to you and you pay them? Or like, I mean, we got it's a, happening anyway. Supposedly libertarian mayor. I know there's yeah. many debates on that, but a, a guy who previously showed libertarian he's, he's a lot less libertarian now that he's mayor. There's, well, there's no debate it's amazing anymore. what happens when you give a libertarian power, but. Yes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the, 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 why he couldn't just go, well, look at these guys that you've spoken about who are going around on trolleys, walking th- kilometers, tens of kilometers mm. every Two day. Words. What's that? Dignified work. <laughs> they don't mind it. I've chatted to a couple of those it's guys. Undignified, John. It's not about them. It's about what we think should be dignified <laughs> yeah, work. Just, again, the, re- the real choice. The real choice is between that work and no work at all. Exactly. Um, you know, in a country with with. 40-50% unemployment, effective unemployment. Um, sorry, you can't be all that fussy about the kind of work people do. And if people do find jobs, yeah. then it's great. You yeah. know, I mean, hey, refuse collectors, Just, refuse collectors in the rich world are still refuse collectors. They still do that work. Yeah, yeah it's perfectly dignified. Pick it up was on strike. Nothing, nothing, nothing wrong with having a refuse collector for no. a father when you're at school. Pick it up was on strike uh, last year for about a month. Some about a month. And every week on Refuse Day, a bucky came along. But you know, and he said, you know, oh, 50 rand of a bin. I yeah. said, oh, brilliant. Take all of them. Yeah. Classic example of what happens when you, when you put the government in charge of recycling is, uh, Redisa, right? Which I can't remember what it stands for now, though. It's a big acronym. They basically, uh, wanted to create the recycling, uh, a tire recycling industry in South oh, Africa. Okay. Right? So they put a tax on every single tire that is sold. Oh, right? yes. New tire. Yeah. Right? You pay, Two hundred fifty or something in a levy, right? And this is supposed to fund um, picking up old tires and taking them to recycling centres and then processing them into various bits and pieces, right? Some people make park benches out of them. Um, some people just grind them up and use them as filler in asphalt or whatever. There, there are abuses for recycled rubber. So what happens is this thing gets established in twenty thirteen. By 2015, there are investigations about what happened to the billion-plus rand that these guys collected forcibly from – I mean, this is effectively a tax. Yeah. Um, what happened to all that money? Now, they say that they employed about 3,000 people. Right? What really happened is that over that period, yes, they have copies of 3,000 IDs. Right? But, they only, but they only have several dozen people that are actually currently working for them as tire pickers. Right. Uh, those tire pickers then 
right, because they were too productive, got capped in terms of the, the number of tires they could collect per month. Oh, remarkable. So yeah. now you can't collect more than 750 tires per month, for which you get two rand a tire. Right? Um, so they cannot earn more than 1,500 rand a month, right? which incidentally is well below the minimum wage that we're, talk, <laughs> that we're talking about now. That's right? great. Even at so, that so, time, yeah. so they are absolute poverty wages um, for a very small number of people. Yeah. Meanwhile, the managers of this outfit – Right, sit in a 16 million rand mansion in Saxonwald, which they use for their offices. What is right. it with Saxonwald? Is it just like between Bedford View and Saxonwald? It's I don't like know. Maybe it was convenient to be next door to the Guptas. Portals to like corruption yeah. hell. So, so uh, now you're supposed to create this industry, right? This this recycling industry and, and so on. Now, what they said was that oh, for the first five years, actually they were try- just trying to create a collection network, right? Um, which granted take, would take some work. Then they would look at the market opportunities for actually selling the stuff. So they're collecting stuff. Well, they have no idea what to do with it. What to do with it? Whether there's actually is a, a market. There's a great market, market at service delivery protests. I so, think, so I what think happens, they're really being used there. So what happens? <laughs> with most of the most of the stuff remains in dumps. The rest of it gets sold off to China. Right. right? Who knows what China does with it? But uh, you know. Um, they burn it really for fuel. Ex- exporting exporting eighty percent of our used tires, I'm fairly sure, wasn't in the original Redisa plan. So it, it became a complete disaster. It's a waste of money. Half the money is missing. We don't know what's going on. The, the Redisa has been liquidated, um, and there's now investigations going on, including the Hawks and some criminal investigations, as to is what that, went down there. Is that levy still applicable? This today? is in this. This is in the space of five years. Right? As far as I know, the levy is still there, although Redisa isn't. And the millions? How many millions are we talking? Um, well, they, they're questioning about 1.1 billion rand. Wow. Right. So it's a lot of money. But, yeah. but they hired, but they, you know, they employed 3,000 people. I mean, and, and that's achi- worth it. And they achieved nothing. Yeah, they employed most of them for about a week. So, I mean, if you divide a billion by 3,000, like it's, it's a lot, but at least there's jobs on the market. Yeah, know? exactly. It's very yeah. important. At, at any cost, create jobs. Like, like before, before the DA came into power, there was, uh, on the highway, on a Sunday, they used to close down the whole highway, um, leave one lane open because 30 people are sweeping the highway. Yeah. 30 people are sweeping the highway. I said the amount of time and effort wasted by me sitting in this fucking queue in this traffic line by you creating bullshit jobs yeah. for people sweeping the fucking highway, that's unbelievable. Are you no. paying them bullshit wages? I, mean, I, I wrote once about the flag waivers. You know all these people. Were, were, yes, they they wave a red flag right three hundred meters before an obstruction. Why do you think? Why do you think? Why do you think? Why do you think that happens? Because there is legislation that says this must happen. Oh really? Right? Yes. You can't, when, you can't have a sign. You have to have a human. Correct. Correct. Yeah. When you have construction project, if you want if you want a construction tender from the government yeah. on, on roadworks and so on, you have to employ X number of people. Uh, including flag waves and so on. You, you know, flashing lights are no good. Right? Now, of course, a flashing light will work for a hundred bucks and won't go, uh, won't go to sleep on the side of the road. Yes. Right. Um, and, and you can't blame the person because that's a right? fucking boring job. I'm sorry. Look, it's a job, right? So now, now you think, okay, well, at least these poor people have jobs, right? That must be better than a situation where they don't have jobs. But you don't think of the unseen economic effects. Yep. Right? Let's go back to Bastiat, you know, 1850, the, the things you see and the things you don't see. The things you don't see is the money to pay them right, comes out of taxes. Right? So it's taken from elsewhere in the economy right, where it could have been used differently and probably would have been used differently. Right? So you're reducing the amount of capital available in the economy. Right? That capital, if used productively, would have created more jobs. 
right, and more prosperity. Right? So you're diverting uh, productive capital into creating unproductive jobs, right? Jobs that, frankly, nobody needs. But you, it's it's like the old argument: if you if you take this to its logical conclusion, then you could pay people to dig holes and fill them up again. Yes. Right. And and this would be good for the economy, according to that. And reasoning. they must dig with spoons. Yes, not, give not space. Them, yes, exactly. Yes. Give them spoons or toothpicks to pick. Yes. To, to well, dig. that's how you should never employ a company that uses two people to dig your swimming pool or a digger. You should rather get a company that employs a hundred people with teaspoons. Employs a hundred people because at, then at ten they, times, they're creating at ten jobs, times the cost, obviously. At ten times the cost. And frankly, it would be better to but, pay twenty but, times the but cost because then they could they could have government large, loves doing this. They do this with healthcare. Yes, uh, they do it with schools. You wrote about schools yeah. relatively recently, I think. Yeah. Uh, in terms of you advocated for voucher schools, which we've yes. we very much have advocated for uh, on this show, and 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 for vouchers just in general. Yeah. Um, yep. What do you think the What's the problem? What are people so against when it comes to those kinds of ideas? Because when you explain it to some people, you kind of get this this look on their face like they, they don't have a good argument, but they just don't want to do that. Yes, no, it's be, but, but it's because they, they only look at the immediate effects of things. Right? So they look at the immediate effect of a, of a subsidy, for example. Yeah. Right? Yes, it's great for this particular industry or this particular company. Right. And now they can employ people and they and they – they're now a growing company and everything looks hunky-dory on paper. But you don't see the effects on their competitors. You don't see the effects on companies that would have done a better job, would have used better technology, would have outcompeted them, but couldn't because they're competing against a government subsidy. Hmm. You, know, um, you don't see, again, where, the, where that subsidy comes from. It's taken from taxpayers. How would those taxpayers have used it alternatively? Yeah, right. If they kept it for themselves. If they kept it. And, 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 you, can't, and you can't demonstrate that either. Right. You can't no. prove there's, uh, what the alternative future would have been. No, because there's millions of you know, people doing millions of transactions every day, making know, if, millions of choices. You if, can't, if you can't you predict. Had, if you right, hadn't right? given telecom a monopoly in the late 90s, well, what new telecoms what, companies would have emerged? Yeah. What, 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 what I found fascinating is – and I was having a discussion with uh, a friend recently about – some of this stuff and, for example, the U.S. economy and, and uh, some of the, the tax cuts that, that were passed there. And I, I obviously am pro those tax cuts and, mm. and this particular friend was against uh, those those tax cuts. And it's interesting because <clears throat> the assumption, my assumption is that an individual will do better for the economy with their own money than the government will do with that same money. And the friend's assumption yes. is the in, opposite. In general, okay? yes. He, he assumes that the government will do better yeah. and that an individual doesn't need that money. It's just greed, you see. And, and while I don't necessarily disagree that humans can be greedy, the reality is that someone who has money wants to make more money. Yes, the way you make more money, certainly in a capitalist economy or a free market, is applying for tenders and getting taxpayer is, money. Is, 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 is doing more business. Yes. Um, and that creates wealth for other people automatically, even if you don't, yeah. even if that's not your goal in life. Your yeah. goal is to make money. My favorite thing about the tax reform was that uh, all, all these corporates were, were taxes were slashed by like ten to twelve percent, mm-hmm. so they increased wages yes. across the board. So, I'm like, so, so straight away they so, increased wages, they employed more people. They right. say, "Hey, great! This so, is you know and, we can do more and now." My we can be more was, uh, why do we need a minimum wage again? Yeah, wages were just increased without any coercion. Yeah, by the government. So why do we need minimum wage now? Yeah, Everyone no, was getting exactly. $15 an no, hour. No, exactly. In fact, when you remove today, the coercion, the, the barriers disappear. It's weird, isn't yeah. it? It's weird. It's, yeah. but, but I thought the so, director would buy a new Learjet. No, he gave 
increases to his employees. No, it's, it's, it's remarkable. It's like, it's like the poster I saw in the Department of Labor wind, window the other day, um, you know, that said, oh, a minimum wage will um, uh, increase employment, right? reduce unemployment. And I'm thinking, okay, so… How? How? <laughs> so you, what you're saying is that labor is a given good. Right now, a given good is one of the very rare things where if you increase the price, there is actually more demand for it. Right, it happens with some luxury brands and you know absurd things. Old Porsches. Yes. You know, you probably build a yacht, and if you make it more expensive than the next guy's yacht, then oh, he'll buy it. You yeah. know, because he's sure. Larry Ellison, and he's got to do better than the than the shake of a man. Um, but given goods are extremely few and far between. Right, and and they are and they are studied because they are so rare because they violate economic because they principle. violate every economic principle there is. Yeah. Right, if you increase the price for something, there will be less demand for it. Right. Um, wages are simply the price for labor. Right? The price for labor acts just like any other price. Right? If you increase it, there will be less demand. As simple as that. Right? Yeah. Um, so, but, but, but that applies so to, to everything else. It's just completely illogical. It's like imagine the, the government set a minimum price for shoes. Less shoes yeah. will be sold. Like it's not <laughs> difficult to understand that yeah. point. But yeah. somehow you increase the price of labor, more labor will be sold. No, no, yeah, it's 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 a very frustrating uh, thought pattern, and it's 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 one I'm I'm sort of coming up against more and more often as I try to sort of speak to people and and see what the how the way they view the world, and then I try to kind of see if I can put a little seed of doubt <laughs> in there. Do you speak to people or do you argue with them? Because I know you, you argue. It depends on who it is, Ramon. It depends. People I know well. Like you get argued with, uh, oh, right. but uh, but you know if I if I don't know the person well and 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 this is the thing, you know the, for example the assumption that the government has their best interests at, at heart is is a is a deeply held assumption by many people. It's a but deeply it's a, erroneous assumption. It's a completely too. erroneous assumption. But th- it's it's not even it's not even one that they've they've given a lot of thought to. It's just an assumption yeah. that a lot of people have. And then yeah. when you say to them. They don't care. Like healthcare, for example, mm. there's uh, been a lot of claims lately that healthcare is collapsing. The health minister says it's not collapsing. Um, and the reality is I've said to people, well, collapsing is a relative term because yeah. your assumption is that the government cares about the quality of healthcare. And the reality is they don't care at all, right? They, they want to Ironically, give, they do, but in the opposite sense. The, right. the government wants to, uh, to, prov- to be able to say we provide healthcare. Yes. That's what they want to be able to say. The level of healthcare is really relative. If they if they're able to give great quality healthcare, then that that will be a, a, a bonus. But here's the thing: collapse is a relative term because what will collapse mean? Well, in a healthcare sense, if there's still one doctor at the hospital and it takes four days to get seen, mm-hmm. and 17 people die in the queue waiting for the doctor, they will still say that the system has not collapsed because there's a hospital, there's a doctor. Yeah, and people right? are being seen. Yeah. If there's 10 doctors. And the queue is only two days long. They'll still say no. the system hasn't collapsed. No. And so even though that system might need a thousand doctors to make it efficient. So, um, you know, that, that's this assumption about the government having your best interest at heart or, or wanting the best for you is, is, is one that's really difficult to get over. But it's, you know, it's, it's, it's the odd thing that, um, you know, when you buy something, uh, with your own money, right? You care about both quality and price. If you buy something with someone else's money, right, you care about quality, 
but you don't care about price. Um, if someone else buys something uh, with your money, <laughs> you care about price, but and you don't really care about the quality you give them. Especially if you're not receiving any part of that. Right. And if you buy something for someone else with someone else's money, yeah. which is what the government does, right? They're buying healthcare for, for other people with other people's money. You care about neither quality yep. nor price. Indeed. Right? And, and that, that, is, that, that becomes the problem. And then, of course, they run out of money. Right? So what do they do? They have to cut quality. Right? It's, and that's why you see that even in rich countries, right? you see the NHS, you see long waiting lines. I mean, hey, it's great for the people that don't have any, any insurance and you know, get help for free. I mean, you know, any free health care is better for the individual than, sure. than no health care. Um, but ultimately, you, you end up with, you know, what the government provides gets rationed, right? which means you're going to end up on a nine-month waiting list when you've got cancer. Sure. Right? Yeah, yeah, we'll give you chemo, but not now. Mm. Come back next year. You know, and, you know, people die that way. It's as simple as that. No, of course. But what I don't understand, like something like a voucher, the government just needs to fund it and not manage. Yes. If you, uh, that's why I like vouchers. You know, it's it's. I mean, it's not entirely libertarian because it's. No. You know, it's. it's We're still using coercive you, you're still, force to. You're still using coercive force to yeah. tax people and then and then redistribute that money. Yeah. But at least you cre- you're creating some sort of market dynamic, right, in the sense that you're saying people, okay, you can't afford healthcare. Here's a voucher. You go spend it where you want, right? At which hospital you want, which doctor you want, right? um, and you get quality that way. Same with schools. Right? Yeah, you go. I mean, now you're stuck in this in this failing school, right? Where the teachers are drunk and and the principal doesn't care. And you're forced to be there. And you're forced to be there, yeah. right? Because you've got nowhere else to go. And that's where you're zoned. Even no, because the state right. yes. zones yeah. you. Yeah. Yes, yeah, bro, exactly. Because no, no social school, engineering. No, aspects. no school can refuse a pupil from within a radius of five kilometers. Yes, right? but, but if all the schools in those five kilometers are shit, and you want to go to a school ten kilometers away, they are choice. not required. They, they they cannot. They don't have to accept you. Exactly. And, and they often don't. And, and, and so, as Ramon says, social engineering, because if you're in a poor area and your poor area happens to be large, say Soweto, yeah. for example, well, it's a no, large so, poor area. Soweto's not poor anymore, but yeah, sometimes. Well, yeah. relatively. No, no relatively, um, yeah. Um, and you decide, well, I don't want to go to any school here, and that's not to say they're all terrible. But oh, no, some of them are good. Yeah. But if you decide in your specific area none of the, the schools are quality enough, in your, in your opinion, for your child… Mm-hmm. Uh, and you want to send them somewhere else? You can't. You just can't. Well, you can, but it's difficult. Or you, um, you, or you have to pay. You know, and, 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 you, and you have to pay. You end up, you end up going to fee-paying uh, public schools at at uh, at worst. I mean, some people can afford private schools, and you know, once yeah. they pay fees, of course, the school says, "Yep, yeah, welcome." Yeah. Right? As long as yeah. you pay the fee. But now, if you have a voucher from the government, right, that is worth roughly what the government spends on pupils per year. It's about twenty grand a year. Um, per it's pupil, I think. towards twenty grand. Um, Somewhere around there. Yeah, I, I saw um, uh, Marius Root from the R proposed twelve thousand rand um, per year per per, oh, per, yeah, stu- per, okay. per student. Okay. Um, which presumably is because there is still some stuff in the in the government budget that they need. Um, you know, to maintain public schools. I mean, he, he doesn't suggest closing down public schools. Sure. Um, but if you if you issue these vouchers, then people can choose where they want to go. Yeah. And they can go to good schools. Good schools then get money, right? Which means they can buy, they can hire more teachers. Which sure. means they can they can choose the the, the better principles, and that, they can compete against other schools. And they bad schools are the guide of business or improve. Or have bad schools change. either improve or they go out of business. And Due that is exactly forces. the way the market ought to work. And most interestingly. In South Africa, 
you can have a sense of cultural belonging. Because why do you have to be taught in English? That's a, a state provided, you know, directive yeah. to school to be taught in English. What if you're like a proud uh, Zulu or Koza or Afrikaner and you want to be taught in your home language? Not that I agree with that specifically, but if yeah, schools compete I, against each other. I actually, I actually think everyone ought to be taught in English in South Africa. I've, I've long been right. I think from, it's a good choice. Right from, right, be, right from the start, uh, I've thought that, Engl- that South Africa should have one lingua franca. I agree with you. Right. And that for practical reasons. Even should, the Chinese get this. Should be English. Right. Yeah. Even the Chinese get that. And remember 20 years ago, we were told, I remember the although fad, the French, although the French still haven't the, got the that. Fad, the fad 20 years ago was that, uh, we must all learn Chinese because we're all going to be speaking Chinese by 2030. Yes. And that has not happened because no, the opposite. Chinese realized that they actually needed to speak English. It would be much more efficient for them the to world, learn, for them, for them to learn to speak so English. So they've learned, started to learn now, to look, speak I, English. Look, I do, I do agree that, and there is, there's quite a bit of study that, that says, especially in, in early childhood education, that, um, being taught in your your mother tongue um, has huge makes huge huge difference in sure. in outcomes. Right? So I'm quite willing to entertain the idea that maybe at at younger ages they should be taught in their in their mother tongue. Yeah. Well, uh, I, think, I think good schools will teach you in English. Private um, schools will in in this hypothetical system yeah. with the voucher system. But it's look, it's entirely it's entirely reasonable. Private school, if a t- private school wants to teach in Corsa, yeah. wants to teach in Afrikaans, well, be I see absolutely no so. reason. I see absolutely no reason why they shouldn't. Um, if they want to, if they want to be a religious school, you know, teach you all about all about Jesus. Absolutely. Yeah. And if they want to be Absolutely a flying fine. spaghetti I'm not, I'm monster not, school, that's not, okay too. I'm not, I'm not going to send kids to that school, no. um, you know, because I don't believe in, in teaching kids that. Um, but so, but mean, that's but that's if that's free choice. So what is it about politics that's about control, Ivo? In your years and years and years of studying politics, why is it so important for the state to control how people act, where they go to school? What language they speak, what wage they should be paid, what well, roads they should drive on. It's, it's so, you know. What's up with that control? Cause I, I understand it, but I just really don't, don't understand it at the same time. Yeah, it, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's weird. I mean, it's, when you, when you look at like libertarian politics and so on, it's always ironic that people stand to become president of the United States. I mean, they never do, of course, but, um, and their purpose then is to actually make themselves redundant. Um, you know, to work themselves out of a job. Now, of course, in that power vacuum of uh, people who do want more control and do legislate more, you know, they just they just um, uh, they just absorb that sort of position. Um, look, we pay legislators a million rand a year, right, to legislate. Right? We don't pay them to repeal laws. Right? To look active, to look like they're actually doing something for what they get paid. They, they legislate. They legislate. Right? <laughs> That's what you're paying them to do. They so, do duh. their job well. Right? No, they don't. <laughs> no, no, no. By legislating, they're doing their job and they're doing well, their Well, yes. That's what I'm saying. Yes, exactly. Yeah. By legislating, they're doing exactly what they're being paid to do. So, so the outcome is that you get increasing number, ever increasing number of laws and regulations. Right? And there's stats out there about um, the number of rules and laws that the average individual is subject and to. And the average politician, the average person who stands to go into politics is often a busybody. These are yeah, the type yes. of people who see you doing something and decide you shouldn't be allowed to do that because yeah. it irritates me. Exactly. And therefore, what, they what, get into politics and now they will pass, pass it would work, regulation. Or it would or work law. better if everyone chose to do the same thing. Yeah. You know, oh, we'd, we'd have more economies of scale, <laughs> right, if we got everyone in the same sort of healthcare program, um, which is Possibly true, 
um, you know, as far as that goes. But what they don't realize is that uh, on the whole it becomes a lot less efficient. Um, and that, and that you remove people's choice. You remove, you remove, you remove people's freedom, really. So my next question would be, isn't it better if we live in a deeply polarized, politically polarized society because legislators will never actually agree on anything? Yeah, that's one of the, one of the arguments I've heard a lot. Um, yeah, in, in some European countries, Holland, uh, which is where I was born, yeah. as an example, um, they, I don't think they've had a majority party there in decades, yeah. right? It's always a coalition government. And coalition governments are inherently inefficient, right? Because they need to get other parties to agree uh, in order to get the number of votes. And inefficiency in government required. is exceptional. Exactly. <laughs> it's what you if, want. If you are opposed to government, then you should want inefficiency in government. A lot of people go, oh, but we need to make government more efficient. We need to appoint people who actually know what they're talking about. Yeah. Um, people uh, link inefficiency and incompetence, and that, yes. that's also a problem. So uh, to give an example, in a South African context, uh, the ANC government in Johannesburg, for example, was incompetent yes. um, and inefficient. Now the DA… Only, only inefficient in providing services, sure. but not inefficient in… Thieving. Um, right. Now that now that we've got the DA government who are trying to um, be efficient, who are trying to be efficient, and but all still we get, yes, and now all we get is a whole bunch oh. of nannying and rules and irritations um, as a result of that. So I think in, you want you want an really a competent government that's relatively inefficient at 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 well at least governing at, at or least, legislating at least needs the consent of a lot of people with very with differing views. Yeah, you know that so that you can't pass stupid things. That's certainly better than what we have now, which is a government where, frankly, if the ANC comes up with a wacky idea, right, they can go through the motions of public consultation and whatnot, as they do, as they do, um, and but they don't have to. They don't have to listen. I mean, no. you know, I, I I followed the tech industry closely for for many years, and I followed many of the legislatory processes very closely. The number of times that they actually listened. To the, in, the, the NH, from the industry, the NHR the was gazetted last week. Yeah, uh, pretty much every they can do whatever every they like. pilot project they've run has failed. Uh, everyone, every expert has told them, do not do this. Do not do this. Um, no. You don't have the money to do this, no. even if you could do this. No. Uh, they're not listening. They're just going to force the square peg through the round hole. With, with the, the radio spectrum that is being freed up uh, from by the move from analog TV to, to digital and so on, they're now creating a wireless open access network, which is basically the government owns the, the wholesale network and leases bandwidth to to telco operators. Of course, telco operators, if they don't if they don't own the spectrum, they only lease it. Yeah. Then they don't really have all that much incentive to to capitalize, right? Because that's a, that's a much bigger risk. Sure. Right. Now, a wireless open access network has been tried in a number of countries. Right. It has never worked. Right. Does the ANC care? No. <laughs> they just they think that in order to get to to get telecommunications to the masses, right. Well, the government has to basically control it and control the infrastructure and build it, build the infrastructure. Yeah. They thought that with broadband Infraco, which was a government uh, um, network that was supposed that was supposed to give. You know, it's mind blowing when you say this kind of stuff. It, and it never worked. No, but it's the, same you know, the only thing that's worked in yeah. telecoms in this country. Cell phones. Right? Cell phones. We yeah. got a cell phone in the poorest people's hands. Right? Without any government in Why? interference, because well, back in back in 1993, the government thought that telecom was going to provide communications to everyone, and cell phones were toys for the rich, and they would never sell more than a million of them. 
right? So those could be left to the private sector. The they, only gave, they only issued two licenses, MTN yeah. and Vodacom, and those licenses have been much abused. You know, I'm not, I'm not a great fan of that. I mean, that's, that's a cartel. Um, but they did achieve getting cell phones into the hand of everyone. Well, they've got penetration through, well, more citizens than we theoretically have because I think there's something like 100 million cell phones yeah. in the country. Yeah. No, I think, I think the stat is something like 80% of South Africans have access to a cell phone. Yeah, and yeah. and quite a lot have access to a smartphone, not just any old cell phone. Yeah, well, that's a, no, that's a lot lower. That's a lot lower. A lot yeah. of them are feature phones. Mm. Yeah. yeah, but but, uh, but they don't have to walk miles and miles and miles to get a, to get to a telecom landline. Yeah. No, ironically, uh, either the least regulated uh, aspects of the telecommunications industry works the best. Yes. I know, I know, it's a weird, it's a weird inverse correlation somehow for most people <laughs> to understand. Well, the internet service providers were far less regulated than the than the telecoms providers, than yeah. the, the network operators. Remember, had a big black box right. like in nineteen ninety eight. Yeah, <laughs> too. Exactly. And they and it's like, come on, there's a memory. But, but, ISP, but ISP, ISPs compete very hard with each other. Yeah. If you look at the fees that they charge over and above the actual bandwidth cost that they pay to to the networks, right? So for their own services, they're incredibly competitive. Yeah. Right? They're dirt oh, cheap. Absolutely. Right? And they all outcompete each other for quality and for for this. And you know, oh, we're not going to cap you. We're not going to throttle you. Right? It's great. That that gives you choice. And that's because the number of ISP licenses was never limited, so it was always a, a very free, um, I mean, competitive market. The fact that there are licenses in the first place is ridiculous. Yes. But I see Vimital has laid down cable all along Alexandria. Say again? Uh, Vimital, a yeah. fiber provider, yes. has laid cables along uh, yeah. all streets of Alexandria. And exactly. Telcom house- was required to do all of that, but never did. And the household, I think the household pays 89 rand a month or something for like a 100 meg line. And that's bullshit because I subsidize those fuckers. Because I got a hundred big <laughs> line and I pay a thousand rand a month. Uh, well, well, that's that's often how the market works, you know. Um, I remember there's this great story about the the foundation of the Mayo Clinic in the U.S. Yeah. Uh, people that say, well, the poor people won't get healthcare if if you leave it to the private hands. Mm. In those cases, there wasn't any government healthcare. And the Mayo Clinic was formed privately, and what that's what, exactly what they did is they they used the funds from the rich. Uh, to fund their poorer patients. Yeah. Right? They wouldn't turn anyone away. Right? And they charge you according to your ability to pay. Right? So, so yeah, wealthy patients. You're going to pay full price you're and, pay and f- more. You're going to pay full price and yeah. more. Right? And, of course, they had philanthropists and donors and so on as well. And then they helped poorer people. You know, poorer people paid less. And, and if you had nothing, you'd pay nothing. Yeah. No, but, but I hate that, that tr- old trope that, uh, you know, people were poor until the welfare state kicked in. Churches and institutions, some institutions don't pay taxes because they were yes. the charity provider Correct. for centuries. Correct. Churches were, didn't pay taxes because they gave all the donations towards orphans. Oh, okay. They created orphanages for themselves. They created soup kitchens. They created infirmaries. Yeah. These are all church uh, institutions that were created around the church. That's why every town had a church. Yes. There's no, so there's no, correla- there's no correlation with the welfare state. I mean, the welfare state came along a lot, lot after the increase in general prosperity. Yep. Right, we sort of started in the beginning of the 18th century, mm-hmm. um, the beginning of the 19th century. Right, that's when that's when a lot of people started becoming uh, relatively prosperous. You know, and you can see all those charts that, you know, prosperity is sort of very low and then suddenly spikes in the last two centuries. And that's all industrial revolution stuff. It's all free markets. It's it's capitalism. It's the development of capitalism and free markets. Right. Before that, you had feudalism and mercantilism. And, and there's a lot of talk now. I, I mean, the Enlightenment is, is is a hot topic, so to speak. Uh, this whole bunch of people writing books on it. Stephen Pinker's book. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, Jonah Goldberg's just written a book on that. 
Um, so obviously there's a lot of that feeding into it. Um, just tell me, because you're not a big religion fan, so uh, no. <laughs> to, to say to to put it lightly, I think. No, I've, bec- um, I've become as I as I get older, I, I grow more and more hostile to religion. In fact, <laughs> all right. So what do you what do you make of the argument that, for example, so some people will say, well, Enlightenment thinkers came about uh, almost like postmodernists of of their time. Uh, nothing before them had influenced them. These were great thinkers of their time. Uh, they put stuff down and 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 off civilization went and along with it all the prosperity we've we've had uh, and others will say well yes they came up with great ideas or they they put those ideas uh, they sort of collated uh, the human experience thus far into better ideas about freedom and about liberty mm-hmm. um, but that was very much influenced by for example judeo christian principles and values. I actually don't think so. Um, if you look at a lot of Enlightenment thinkers, Voltaire and, and Diderot and so on, they weren't Christians. Right? They were atheists back in the day. They, they couldn't really say so because they'd get burnt to the stake. They, they called themselves deists. Yeah. So but, deism is – there they, is a but, god but he really doesn't care about it. No, but, they, but they, were responding, they were responding to two, to two problems in society. Right? One was the absolute power of monarchy. Yeah. Right? And the other one was the absolute power of the church. Indeed. Because throughout the Western world, you had two centers of power. Right? The Pope and the King. Uh, it's the Pope and the King. Yeah. Right? Uh, in England in, in the 17th century, 16th century, um, Henry VIII combined, combined them. You know, he became the head of the church. Sure. Right? But in, in most of the rest of Europe, it was, uh, you know, Rome was the, was the central power. Right? And it was separate from the, from the King. So, but both had tyrannical power. Both were corrupt. Both abused the peasantry. Um, and, and this is what a lot of Enlightenment thinkers reacted to. And they said, well, hold on a second. What about, what about human freedom? What about individual freedom? And what about our conscience? And what about, um, human rationality and reasonableness? Yeah. Yeah. And, and reason. And, um, you know, how, why can't we be productive on our own instead of having to be serfs to, to a landlord? Yeah. Um, well, thank God. Thank God the whole world changed after that. And, today, and and that started that started the change. Oh, no, it really did. It really did. And unfortunately, the state has replaced the king. But we vote once every five years, so it's not the same, you know. I think. Ridiculous. Look, I mean, I think in in terms of that discussion, it, what, what's going to be more interesting in in the books that now get written after these first introductions, and, <laughs> and certainly what be, has become a popular topic is the different sides of all those thinkers. You, you know, you talk about Diderot and. Uh, Descartes, and but you know the, those would have been they were not quite in lockstep with someone like Locke or um, no, Hume were, or no. even Kant. Um, so, so I think the differences between those and and Voltaire, um, uh, yeah, I mean Voltaire was more was was a different kind of of. The Enlightenment kind of took two paths. It's kind of like French Enlightenment and and sort of the Scottish, the Scottish Enlightenment. Yes. Well, look, and 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 but when, but I think I, if I was choosing a path, I'd choose the Scottish one. Well, when you think when you think about it, I mean the the <laughs> thanks for the, the, the sort of philosoph- philosophical um, uh, you know disagreements are perfectly natural in the market in a free market. If people are free, I know. So I, I have dinner with two philosophers. It never ends. I know, I know. It's wonderful. Or two economists. It's, it's wonderful, isn't it? <laughs> or three, or three people in this podcast. <laughs> no, I remember when I, when I read philosophy. I mean, I, yeah, I can't say I'm an expert on philosophy, but I, I did read some um, years ago. 
and uh, I sort of got half halfway through through civilization. And I thought, haven't they finished arguing about everything? <laughs> yeah. and then, and said, no, never no. ends, and it never ends. And then and then uh, Descartes comes around, and he says, right, wipe the slate. Right, I'm going to start from scratch. Right, yeah. what do I know? Right, well, I think, therefore, I am. Mm. Right, I must exist, right? yeah. which is reasonable from a philosophical point of view to take as an axiom. And then he screwed it all up by saying, and a second, a second axiom is, I can conceive of a perfect being. Yeah. A necessary characteristic of perfection is existence. Therefore, God exists. Yep. Um, but also his, his, his primary idea of mind-body dualism, where the, the mind and body are separate. Yeah. So one is based on feelings and intuitions. The other one is reason. Yes. And the science says that's bullshit. Like so it's, it's also interesting that that in his day, if he hadn't concluded that God existed, um, you know, he would have, he would have faced some very serious difficulties from the church. Yeah, probably. Sure. All right. So fast forward. Yeah. Fast forward. Uh, 150. We were talking years. about recycling. I think. And I don't know how we no, got to Descartes. Well, well, that's fine. <laughs> I want to fast forward and, of course, come to one of the um, great thinkers of today, Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. uh, ah, yes, yes. <laughs> the greatest, the greatest thinker ever. The greatest, the greatest. Um, so, um, so, what are your thoughts? I don't like the guy. All right, um, so, fine. I think, I think a, a, a lot of people, um, so here's the thing. I, I, Look, when he got elected, when he got elected, a lot of people I, feel that way, but then they go from, I don't like the guy to, but, X, but, Y, Z. But, uh, there are several buts, yeah. Look, when he got elected, I thought, well, you know, he, he's kind of a dick. But uh, I'm very pleased that Hillary lost. Yes. Right. So I was kind of going, all right, let's see what Trump does. Because at least with Hillary, we knew what poison we had. You know, we knew, we knew that particular devil. Um, with Trump, we didn't. And he looked like a, um, a loose cannon, like he would shake things up. And frankly, any shakeup could probably have a lot of good results. He said, oh, we're going to deregulate this and that, which I think is great. Um, and he has. Uh, he's actually scaled back a lot of regulations, which is um, so far turned out to be very good for the American economy. Mm. Um, and then he goes and does things like uh, like he raises tariffs on on steel and uh, aluminium and so on, and declares you know, declares a cold war against Canada. And you know, <laughs> I mean, seriously, the Canadians are coming. <laughs> okay, but but, so, but but you will admit that the tariffs thing could work both ways. So it could be. His negotiation tactic, which could go horribly wrong. It could, yes. I'm starting to think, um, and, and the North Korea story also sort of shows, shows that kind of tactic, uh, that he goes in, um, guns blazing, right, and makes it very clear to you that A, he doesn't care, and B, you've got everything to lose. Indeed. And right? he's got the power. And he's got the power, right? So he goes in with, with ridiculous, um, uh, demands. Right? After which, Right, he makes it worth your while to negotiate down to what he actually wants. Yeah, it's called anchoring. Right. Yeah, um, and and I think that might be exactly what he's doing with tariffs. He's he's starting a great big tariff war, and then he says, "Well, wouldn't it be better better if none of us charge any tariffs?" Because yeah. he has floated that idea. Yeah, he did float it at the end of the G seven. So I kind of so I kind of thought. Well, first I thought he was this protectionist, crazy big government mercantilist um, idiot, frankly. And then I think, well, now suddenly he wants no tariffs. So what's with that? Yeah, so, just so, so there might be a lot more method to his madness but than, if you, you, than you think. If you read and or watch Scott Adams, I still don't know if Scott Adams is a hack or not. 
But every time I, Scott well, Adams, I think he's got some good ideas. Scott some Adams ones. created, uh, and he's got this like persuasion fault and he's a hypnotist and he knows how, and fuck, he gets a lot of things right. Mm. Holy shit. If you look back at what he said about Trump back then and he says, what well, this is, he will win. This is, will be the reaction in two years uh, within the presidency. They'll be like, okay, fine. He's not like fuck Trump still, but you know, he's done some good things. And then by the time the, the term ends, they're going to be like, this is must be like one of the greatest presidents ever. And you also talked about his negotiation tactic. If you read mm. out of the deal, if you read things through the persuasion filter, um, his own words, this is how Trump does. He he smashes you in the face, and then he takes two steps back and he says, "Okay, let's talk." Now let's do a deal. Yeah. yeah. Look, I, and I think I think this is this is this is probably part of a strategy and a number on a number of things. Look, on a number of other things, I still strongly disagree with him. You know, I I dislike his identity politics, his xenophobia, you know, his his um, sort of nationalism. Um, I think those are those are, are harmful ideologies, and and I've always disliked identity politics of of any sort. You know, but um, the fact that he plays into that sort of the the, the right wing identity politics. Do, do you think it's a it's? Do you think it's avoidable, given that he has to he's he's come into a, a, a society, an electorate, um, a country, and a world where identity politics is the way the game has been played now for some time, at least the past decade, and and to, in a large part because of the left. Yes, because so they, all, they also play identity uh, politics. Well, that's what I'm saying. The left went identity politics first. Yeah. And I think some people might argue, um, and to some extent myself included, um, that you've got to get into the mud to wrestle with the pig. And you can try, you can try. You see, this is the thing I think some conservatives who are never Trumpers, for example, mm-hmm. don't get. Um, they think that, um, because they've always seen themselves Republicans, you know, we are, we're the prim and proper bunch. Um, we don't, uh, we don't get into these pithy arguments and, and we don't, uh, do the identity politic thing and we're better for it. And maybe you are better for it, but you're losing, uh, and you're losing badly, uh, and you're, you're losing where it matters, which is in, in the minds of people and the, and the daily lives of those people. And, 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 and that shows in the entire way your country is, is, is moving. That's a good question. I don't really know whether it is inevitable and whether you actually should play up identity politics in order to combat yeah, identity politics from the left. Um, I mean, I wouldn't think so. I would think that you can make an economic argument, you know, and and you can talk about the working class and you know the the whether they get a raw deal or not, um, under under the under under the status quo, um, and say, look, we're gonna, you know, we are gonna get you a better deal. We are gonna get America working again, etc. Without being xenophobic and without saying, well, immigrants are bad for the country. The, the problem is, immigrants aren't bad for the country. They're great. For, they're great for America. They're they're great for any country. I, I, I don't know what, for example, xenophobia you specifically referring mm-hmm. to. I would assume it would be something like Trump calling Mexicans rapists, for example. Um, yes, but so, for example, that quote was not what he said, but. But even if he did call Mexicans rapists, you've got a president who before him said racism is in our DNA as Americans. So you've got the, the pre- sitting president saying that you're all fucking racists, all of you. You, you. And you know what? No matter how much you despise racism and no matter how much you try to get away from racism, it's in your fucking DNA. You, you, you cannot move away from it. That is such a deep identity I, I, politics. I think, I think that's true to an extent. You know, and that goes to a more philosophical level that um, – can anyone actually be non-racist? 
Um, because we do have it in our DNA that we, we yeah. look after ourselves, we look after number one, like uh, then we look after our family, then you get group identities. You yeah, know, you group identities are very important. You look after your family, then you look after your, your village, um, and, and you, you sort of, you end up grouping with people that look like you, act like you, come from the same place, sure. share the same, share the same sort of social values. Yeah. Um, against outsiders. And good societies you know, overcome those innate, um, preferences. Because it economically benefits them to do Absolutely. so. Absolutely. Right? And that's why America is rich. Because then you start trading, right? Yeah. Trade was actually such a great, um, motivator to actually reduce racism and xenophobia around the world. Because it was m- much more beneficial to trade with people, yeah, right, than, than, to, fight than, than to go and fight them. Yeah. Right? And and you see a lot of, um, you know, the more the more free markets are, the more free uh, trade you have, the less likely you are to go to war with another country. Yeah, yeah. I, I think, you, you know, I, I, I want to push back a little bit against the idea that that it's in our DNA. I think you you're correct. Obviously, we we are selfish in in our nature. We do think of ourselves first in our in groups. I just think uh, the way we define those in groups is is very different, and certainly up for a lot of influence. Yeah. So, for example, the United States, uh, late nineties, early two thousands. Um, I don't think a lot of people were even noticing the colors of other people because being an American meant that. Your in-group included people of various hues. Yes. And, and to the point that you were inverted commas colorblind. Yes. It just didn't matter to you. You didn't give a shit. Oh, right? Not- because you, because the guy standing next to you, you were a white guy standing next to a black dude. You were both Americans. Yeah. So it didn't matter that he was a black dude. It didn't matter you were white. Yeah. It didn't even occur to you. No. Um, and I think that when you ratchet up the belief that we, that people instinctively hate each other in, especially in a country, which in 50 years managed to basically move past. Look, I do, I do think that a lot of the, the, the argument, you know, the tribalism is kind of built into our DNA. Mm. Um, you know, yeah, sure. But we also civilize um, and we civilize ourselves and we act rationally. Right? We think about what we do and how we relate to other people. And, and that goes back to the economic benefits of, of not yeah. being tribal and not being isolationist. Um, so yeah, I, I think I think we probably can overcome that. Sadly, a lot of political people, and it's a very easy thing to politically exploit. Unfortunately, um, yeah. You know, um, Julius Malema exploits it. Uh, you know, uh, a lot of people, the left, the left wing in general, says, okay, well, these are the oppressed groups, and those are the groups that are oppressing them. And yeah, this, no. You know, well, are, are the Nazis left? Hmm? In your eyes, the Nazis were they left? Well, they were socialists. Yes. Oh, thank you. You see. Because they were the, they, they were the, the. It says there, right in their name. <laughs> no, national socialists, are not global. I mean, how can you, okay, okay, global how can you yeah. say they weren't socialists? They call themselves national socialists. Okay, but the workers' the, party, the labor, the labor party, agreed with yeah. you. Um, yeah. And then there was, what? Where do you think the the right part of that comes from? Because a lot of times you say to someone. That, for example, because the Nazis. it was based on ethnicity and race, not and they're uh, and they're authoritarian, which is which is why yes, they were authoritarian and they were fascist, which is often associated with the right wing. Um, it's one of the reasons why left and right is actually a, a, a relatively difficult or, or relatively uh, not a very useful uh, no, distinction. Not know? anymore, no. Uh, not anymore. Um, I mean, especially if you want individual freedom, or frankly, the authoritarian right and the authoritarian left are equally dangerous to you. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, and I had an argument with the the conservative, the CP of South Africa, mm-hmm. uh, Andres Trinicht. Yeah, the old conservative party. Yeah, the old oh, conservative okay. party. And I said, these are like the most left-wing politicians in South Africa. This guy couldn't handle the fact that – and he was a young a young no. DA guy. I said, no, but these guys are, 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 are socialists to the extreme. They want to – have these yes. apartheid laws to protect white workers. Correct. Which uh, capitalist apartheid. was to protect white workers? Apartheid was not a capitalist system. Of Apart- course it was. Apartheid was, 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 was a, a national socialist system. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it, it meant to uh, redistribute wealth um, from a bunch of white people to other white people. Um, and, and it was sort of trickle and, tr- and subject. No, yeah, I mean, that's, and really, to be honest, like the black areas. That's but what, like, half half of the white population. Half, half of the white population had had council houses and and worked for the railways. Yeah, and the post office. Well, that's the point of SAEs, right? The, the civil ser- yeah, exactly. The civil service was huge, um, as it is again now, for the very simple reason that they wanted they wanted every white person to have. Um, at least a, a, a decent job. It was a very socialist setting. Yeah. And that's why the ANC actually to be, I think that the ANC finds it quite easy to, um, to gain support because they, they do exactly the same thing. They just turn the race, take the card yes. around the, in essence, but they're just creating a national socialistic state for black people. ANC economics is very similar to apartheid economics. And then now the, the whites the, are, the economic policy hasn't really changed much. Right. And now the whites are learning that EBE is taking us out of the look, market. It, 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 it's better, it's better because it actually does benefit a lot more South Africans right now. Despite, oh, despite, oh, absolutely. despite BE and affirmative action and so on. Um, oh, oh, it's it, is a, it is a far more just society oh, now. Absolutely. Than it was under apartheid. Absolutely. It's, it's not. Let's start defending apartheid here. No, no, no. Um, I'm just saying this is not the point. The point is to say both are equally both, shit. Both are or e- not maybe from equally. an economic no, no, not from equally from, economically yes. From a from an economic an economic policy point of view, yeah, both are are very similar. Unfortunately, apartheid was generally meritocratic in the public service. Do you think so? I'm, no, Generally. I'm not. I don't, I'm, I really, not I'm not sold you, on that either. I'm not, I'm not. I'm not sold on that at all. Because they had a civil service that was uh, quite well educated. I mean, look, I was look, I was young. I was young in the apartheid. You know, it, it it fell in what 1990 when Mandela was released. I was 19, so I saw this as a teenager, um, mm. and I heard people talking as a teenager, and I was I was mostly in Afrikaans uh, environments because our church was Afrikaans and our school, my school was Afrikaans. Um, the number of times that I heard people complain about the the, the lazy bureaucrats mm. or white bureaucrats, right? the lazy bureaucrats that couldn't get anything done, um, that oh, sit really? that sit there collecting a paycheck and and doing nothing, being drunk on the job, it was common. You know, it was that okay. was just how bureaucrats. Yeah. I think uh, you know, just a simple example. Well, people have always hated the licensing department. Yes. <laughs> they, they did. Thirty years ago, it was staffed by white people. Yeah. They now didn't. it's off by black people. The race has nothing to do with it. No difference. No difference. No. I actually went to the city of Joburg, the council's office. There's one white chap, looks about 70 years old. You know, you know when they're a civil servant, when they wear like a tie? Mm-hmm. And everyone else said they like a leather jacket or they, they're comfortable. They, the, the black staff are comfortable. And everyone was actually pretty. Well, this guy's old school. And then this guy's like 70 years old with a tie in his, in his, at an open plan desk with those, with those very flat black shoes that mm. Afrikaners love to wear for some reason. And I was like, you, you must have, you must be here for the past 50 years. Yeah. And like, and you're as, you're as inefficient now as you were then. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought, I, I don't feel sorry for you, but he's, no. but he was the only white guy, like in the whole building. Yeah. That's well, that on the ground level that worked there. And it was, uh, no, quite there's, fascinating. There's, there's a lot of, you know, a lot of people and on, uh, and, and, 
you know, again, we talk about identity politics. A lot of people, um, a lot of white people, and, and so on, think that things were better under apartheid because uh, services got delivered, the, 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 the government was more competent. So, absolute rubbish. No, they were they were just as corrupt, just as lazy. Um, look, they they had it a lot easier because they only really had to cater for five, servicing f- less people for yeah. five million people. Yeah. Yeah. The, the other thing is, so from that perspective, they had it easier. Can government ever truly be meritocratic? Because here's the problem: what are what is their what is their target? Their target is not the same as, for example, the private sector. No. If if you're not meritocratic in a private company, no. you go out of business because yeah. you appoint shitty people to management positions, for example, yeah. or to front of house where you deal with customers, yeah. and they're bad at their jobs, and then you lose business yeah. and you go out. Uh, in a government setting, that's not what happens. So you can appoint bad people. Who cares? Yeah. And, and if your department isn't doing well. If your department isn't doing well, you say, well, okay, well, we don't have any money. Well, you know, in the private sector, they say, well, we have to work harder and more revenue because you know, people voluntarily give give you money when they don't they're not forced to trade with you. Yeah, the government is completely different, right? We just have to tax them more. Other people will have to work harder. <laughs> yeah, you know, when, when you fail. So is it is the let's talk yeah, politics the, now. The, motiv- the motivation is very different. Yeah, I think I think there's a I feel personally in South Africa there's 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 a detachment from the citizens to the politicians or to the bureaucrats. There seems to be like quite a a lengthy road between the two. Yes. Is there do you think there could be a time where do you think people realize the state is shit or will they always say you know what we just need to make it better? It's like, it's like people always say we need to make it better. It's like it's like an old car; you just need to give it a few whacks, and it'll work again. And it very instead of just getting a new one, it very seldom works. And when it works, it works for a short period of time, you know. And and they all fall back into 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 the old ways: government getting bigger, and taxes getting higher, more regulations, and and the economy goes for more shit like, again. Even like the so-called greatest leaders of the twenties, like Margaret Thatcher, right? Yeah, it was only temporary, wasn't it? And it doesn't last. Yeah. And she was, she actually worked hard. She did great. She did many, many great things. Yeah. And it lasted, uh, what, uh, she left eight in eight 70, years or something. She left in 79. It was about 12, it was about 12 years for her, I think. She left in 79, I believe. No, she, she became, or she became in 79. Prime Minister in 79 and she left in 93, I think. Right. Was. And then Tony Blair won 97. Oh, you're right. Yeah. Tony Blair won 97. And he reversed a lot of the and stuff. And he she reversed did. everything. Yeah, he made no. he made the English culturally left. No, exactly. And if you loved what Obama did, uh, you know, if you loved what Bush did, Obama yeah. reversed a lot of it, uh, and then Trump is reversing a lot of Obama. Actually, uh, funny, funny no, enough, Obama, Obama Obama actually doubled down on a lot of what Bush did. Well, it depends on 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 in, healthcare. In, where, where 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 you're talking. On I mean, healthcare. In military, he certainly yeah. doubled down <laughs> on healthcare too. Bush Bush signed Medicare what Medicaid yeah. four. Yeah. Chapter four, the most extensive, expensive form of Medicare available. Yeah. Well, you know, that's, that's one of the myths that, oh, we're going to, we're going to vote some, a new bunch into government and they're going to be better. Yeah. Um, no, they won't. Once they get in government, they end up being exactly the same. Um, they, they all end up raising taxes. They all end up with new laws and so on. They, they make decisions based on, on very, very weak, uh, scientific research, scientific principles. Um, they are not experts in their in their field. No. Um, and one what, 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 what I mean, though, is that you can create legacy for yourself, but essentially that can just be trodden on by the next guy. Yes. Um, and the the as as Ramon is saying, it's 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 <laughs> the government just kind of 
someone good someone good can be involved and this can be someone good around. I mean the Western Cape for the DA is a good example at the moment. Yeah. Um you know you got Helen Zilla who did great work and and frankly did great work for the party. Uh you didn't have a party shooting itself in the foot every second yeah. week. Um you didn't have a party All all the although Helen Zilla was pretty good at foot shooting uh after she left. Helen Zilla became good at foot shooting when this country went social justice warrior because Helen Zilla has never been a politically correct uh, person and she started she used a, a platform twitter um in and she carried on being the same politically incorrect person she had always been no, but and she that became DA. unacceptable she had to bring in identity stuff she had to bring in young and black uh, things to grow the party and that's all understandable but they fucked her in the end they stabbed her in the back sure Big time. So, what, so the analogy or the, or the comparison is, is you know, the DA, which had a great leader for a good period of time, at least yeah. in the context of their party, um, had the Western Cape nailed down and certainly Cape Town. And all of that seems to be unraveling because other people have become involved and those other people aren't as certain about Weeks the, 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 yeah. the way but they're it, going. But, it, but it, it permeates. I mean, you, you can't even point to a particular person. I mean, you can always point to the leader, I guess. Um, you mm. know, saying that, sorry, but my money just hasn't, hasn't delivered. He hasn't been a good party leader. Um, and I, I, I don't think he has, but it, it, it permeates the, the party. You know, it's, it's been, um, sort of lurching from one catastrophe to another. Yeah. Uh, one of the problems is you say there's a, there's a big distance between people and their politicians, and that's one of the uh, uh, our political system is designed for that. Um, although we elect people at local level, um, we don't have direct elections for our members of parliament. Mm. Right? So there really is a huge a huge gap between between you and the members of parliament. You vote for a party, right? and then your party Dictates. will decide will decide who's in parliament and who isn't, yeah. um, and who makes the laws and who doesn't. So. Your your direct control over these people is nil. Yeah, you which know. is why voting is a waste of time. If someone if someone screws up, voting at, at provincial and national level, yeah, you could argue is um, is largely a waste of time. Yeah, municipal no. Unless unless you care about the the big balance of power, the greater the greater balance of power. Yeah. Um, but do you think a party that actively tries to um, negate? Political power. So, part of that, say, hypothetically, a party does come in and say, "Listen, we're going to we're going to just deregulate everything, and etc. etc. etc." Do you think those parties will ever have a hope in hell? Because I think the propaganda has been so strong that the state is here to help you. Historically, they have very very little hope. Um, you know, and I mean, in the states, the third party. Um, politics from on both sides of the spectrum. You know, the libertarians, uh, the the the, the left wing guys, Nader, Nader, the mm. Greens, and so on. All they've really done is is actually kick the election over to um, from your second choice to your third choice. Um, you know, which which um, the UK is no different. Lib Dems. No, exactly. Um, so so from that perspective, I don't think I don't think it's. You know, they'll get to power. I mean, and frankly, if you ever think libertarians are going to head for power, well, you couldn't hurt libertarians. Does it matter um, though? Do does we, it matter? Do we, do we not need a party there, like the EFF? Is there some benefit to having a small party, right? That doesn't aim for. Yeah, I, I just need to correct that like the EFF, but. For a, for, for a majority. Well, I mean, like the EFF in the sense that they'll stand up in parliament, they yeah. will disagree. In the sense that they the will disagree quo. and they will make arguments mm. that make it into the newspapers and become part of the public yeah. debate. Yes. Right? There absolutely is a place I mean, for that. Imagine the IRR, for example, were in parliament and uh, Gareth Van Onselen was an MP 
And Gareth Van Onselen, who's been writing some exceptional stuff lately as well. You and him are currently my favorite uh, people to read. And uh, if he was making those arguments in Parliament, I think that even if he never got anywhere near power, and maybe he'd be terrible if he got near power. I mean, this is the problem with the DA. As they get more close towards power, the worse they become. The worse they become. Well, well, that's the thing. The more voters you need, the more you have to water down your message and the more more inclusive you need to get. But I think think Ed's Ritz would be a better example. If every forum were a political party now, they would win – Two, three hundred thousand votes, ten seats, for example. Do you think farm voters will be more of a priority? I think so. Well, if they banged on about it at every single parliamentary yeah. meeting, questions, it probably, committee, would, it probably would be. Yeah. It would be on the national yeah. agenda. And, and they, you know, whether, whether or not you agree and, with their position. And, sure. and to get them to shut up, uh, the police minister and the police committees, et cetera, in parliament yeah. would probably, I mean, do you think expropriation, do you think expropriation without compensation would be anywhere close to parliament if the EFF weren't there? No. You see? No. That's see how a, powerful that is. That was an EFF platform. Yeah. 6%. Um, a million it, votes. It, it was a radical EFF platform. I mean, yeah, you can argue that maybe they were put there in the first place. Um, that's a good point, as, as a sort of a vanguard for the ANC to test out radical ideas and see which ones floated and which ones didn't. Yeah. A, a million votes to collapse the entire country. That's yeah. might, what, what might T- be all it takes. Tyranny of the minority. That's yeah. a real thing. Yeah. No, but I, I do think it would improve the quality of debate if if you if you had a more a more free market organisation, um, uh, maybe drawing some away from the free market um, wing of the DA because sure. they're sort of split between free marketeers and and social democrats and nanny staters. Yeah, mm. no, I think it would be very beneficial for the DA to lose power next. Unfortunately. The opponents, the DA, are like worse than the DA. But yeah, <laughs> so, I think I think I think we, so we, abso- we, we absolutely win. need we Anything. absolutely need a, a voice in Parliament for for a freer economy um, that can make the case for capitalism and, and free markets um, that can actually question research and research on which uh, you know um, policies are based. Yeah. Like, you know, sugar tax, for example. Uh. You know, I mean, we, we, we imagine a party that stands up in our Parliament and they are none currently and would go. Social welfare is a social ill, and we want to abolish it. Now, they, they might know they'll never get that right in this country, um, because let's be honest, no, I'm, no I'm, country really has got that right. I know what platform we have to run on. We will abolish personal income tax. <laughs> tax is theft. Absolutely. That's not a bad idea No at step all. on snack. No, imagine. Imagine. <laughs> who, who would disagree with that? Fuckers who don't pay income tax. We don't care about them. But the people that are the most productive, who produce the most oh. value, and who are the richest, deeply Politi- hate politically. Tax. I've always, been, I've always been very pessimistic about the idea of a low flat tax. You know, which is which is really economically ideal. Sure. Yeah. One one tax for everyone, fifteen percent. So. But yeah, I would disagree with that, though. Yeah. Use, yeah use, well, that's still a state taking your money. Use a VAT or something that is, no, that is no, easy, con- easy. Consumable to, tax is much better. Sales tax. So you take yeah, and, and easy, only easy applies, to administer. And it only applies to things that are over a hundred rand. So That's if you want your fill at stake, boom, tax. Yeah. If you buy chuck, if you buy cheap goods, good, good idea. Yeah. No VAT applies. If you buy a Ferrari, boom, twenty five percent, thirty percent VAT on that. Yeah. That's fine. But you choose to buy the fucking Ferrari. But there won't be any customs duties when importing it, so yeah. it'll be cheaper anyway. It might actually be more effective to do something that um, Milton Friedman wanted, which is he negative calls it the negative in, the negative income tax, where mm. where you have tax rates that go from minus. Twenty percent to plus twenty percent, mm. depending on how rich you so are. So you get a reimbursement, basically. So if you're very poor. yeah, if you're poor, you get a reimbursement. Yeah. Um, but 
in that sense, the you know the government doesn't dictate how how that gets spent. Exactly, government must just fund. If they have to fund, let them fund, but don't let them manage. It's yeah. very simple. Yeah. I think I think we should, and that and that would be politically far more palatable than to say, look, you know, everyone fend for themselves because ultimately yep. the outcome will be good. Yeah, the outcome probably will be good, but it'll, it'll take a while. It'll take time. It'll take time, no. and, and there will be a lot of hardship along, and it'll, along yeah, the way. It'll, it'll cause too much suffering. So, so we had a state where we sort of need the state because without the state, unfortunately, uh, you will cause a it's lot a tough of admission from an anarchist. Well, I'm a pragmatic anarchist. The state yeah. exists, yeah, whether so I want to or not. That P word, eh? No, so am I. That's why I've always Ma- been Martin's is just another MI. That's why I've always been a small, a small, a small statist. You know, yeah. I think there is a role for the state. Um, and it includes actually some social provisions and so on. Frederick Hayek agrees with you. I mean, yeah. the biggest, the biggest, oh, sorry, anarchist libert- the biggest yeah. anarchist libertarians agree with some sort of subsidized welfare for those people that get left behind because yeah. believe it or not science I don't know how true this is if you have an IQ of under 83 you are productively useless yes in a yeah. capitalist society you just are and this is military um, they did research in the military Jordan yes, Peterson, I, actually, I actually saw this stat the other day Jordan I Peterson, I'd be interested to see where from. that came from yeah, yeah. the military because that's quite concerning given the, the fact that I think yes, our came, average in this country right. is it below came, that it came from the military it yeah. said that it said that if you uh, the, if you're in the military and you have an IQ of less than 83% you cannot be taught anything useful yeah right? <laughs> you are basically in a military context no, you're obviously. basically a grunt Okay. Right. You learn. You learn your cannon fodder. You learn your drills and your cannon fodder. Yeah. You um, carry shit from here to there. Yeah. Exactly. You do mm. what you're told. Because I mean, I don't know. I don't know what you think of Jordan Peterson, but he had this this wonderful explanation of left wing, so called left wing, so called right wing. Right. Uh, right wing natural hierarchies exist. They are useful. They are maybe not good. There's no moral claim, but they are useful. They exist, and they do a whole lot of good for for the people in a society. The left. Uh, ha- well, hierarchies, they don't like hierarchies, but should it exist, people will get left behind. And we can't leave them behind due to moral, economic, and criminal reasons. Therefore, yeah, that's one of the big problems I have with the left. Right. In order that, in order to not have stratification, they want everyone to have the same shit education. Sure, sure. But that's why he says there. you sort of need each other, like sort of yeah. in equilibrium with each other. And Jordan Peterson says, if you got a low IQ, and that is not your fault, Yeah. You are useless to the hierarchical system, to a market capitalist system. You will not provide that much value, so you will not get anywhere. Not entirely useless, but you're certainly not going to be equally equally productive. Sure. And you you need to somehow link link prosperity to right. to productivity and to leave you behind because that's for, that's the whole point. We need to earn our living, don't sure. you? Sure. And to leave you behind just for something you can't control is well cruel. Yeah. So you sort of need to have a system that. Yeah, that um, and frank- rewards. And frankly, I've never value. seen I've never seen anyone, uh, you know, any sort of private sector person or f- free marketer ever argue that oh, we should just leave the poor where they are and not do anything for them. And I've got a very good example of that. So I used to work in many different law firms, and I used to travel around the, not travel around the country, but I used to work with my dad who sells mining equipment, for example. All the way across the country, you go to any office to deliver something. There's that one fucking tunny. Mm-hmm. He's eight years old. <laughs> he has no one left. The parents, the whatever, the kids have moved to Australia. She has a pension of 700 rand a month from the state back from the apartheid days. And she's there to shuffle paper and receive phone calls. Yeah. She would be destitute. And this is a charitable job, right? Yeah. She doesn't provide much value to the company, yeah. but they know very well. 
these people would be nowhere if they didn't have a reason to get up in the morning and a reason to work and money in the bank. And we can provide that charitably by yeah. providing her with a job in the abbreviations. The other thing or, I like about charities is that they're actually selective and they actually, they actually fund what works and yes. they stop funding what doesn't work. Rather good I ones. Like, I mean, there are I, some I like, really dodgy charities out yeah, there. Yeah, true, true. Yeah, I, I mean, one of my bugbears is charities in terms yeah. of that. Some of the the wealthiest people I've ever come across. Look, a lot of yeah, a lot of charities are, are CEOs. They, they, of exi- charities. they exist to collect money. They mm. don't. Coll- they don't exist to actually spend it. Yeah. Um, they exist to enrich themselves. A good. Um, That's a, you're right. A lot of charities are like that. Unfortunately, and it's usually it's not the sort of mom and pop charities. You know, you you'll, you often come across someone running a charity, and they really are doing it in their spare time, and they actually do a lot of good. Yeah. Um, but I'm talking about these sort of global charities, which become oh, yeah, uh, no, household a, names. Yeah, it's a slush fund. Um, you know, and, and they might do some good work. Medicine Sans Frontiers and, and, is, and is all, one example and, and of, have a picture of an organization. Of a, of a crying African child on the, sure, on the, on the cover. Sure, and they do do yeah. – there is some good work done, certainly, and there is some um, some funding that goes to charity. I mean, what was that uh, charity but you know, you, recently? But, but, but when you Bono's. Think, was it Bono's charity spending like 10% or something on actual charity and 90% on everything else? Yeah, it's high. But when it's you, only but, 3% but, but when you think about it, uh, is the government any different? Oh, no. No, no, not at all. I mean, um, when, when you think of government welfare, is, is of the money that gets collected in tax and actually gets, gets diverted, how much actually ends up in, in beneficiaries' pockets? Very little. A lot of it is, is supports a huge bureaucracy, supports yeah. people getting very rich. Like, like Sasa. That's whatever. Yes. How, many, how much of their money actually goes to the salaries and getting the money to the individuals yeah. on benefits? I wonder how much of that money. Like, I'm sure, like sixty percent of the money is used. A lot, just to I, get don't the know, money I don't know. I don't know the percentage on that. But it'd be uh, interesting to find out. But yeah, a lot. Of, look, a lot of the government bureaucracy does exist yeah. for its own. Oh, uh, we got a state <laughs> employment uh, fund. It's, of, it's, it's own perpetuation and so on. And we're not employment fund, but we, we're employing over three million people. Yeah. by the state alone. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. it's, it's, but if you're interested nuts. in charity, there's a, a organization called Effective Altruism. Mm-hmm. Basically, they've got these dedicated charities that they give to, which show, and they've got and they, I, they I rank them basically. They so they they, they, yeah. they, they look they look they, they, they look at what the income and expenditure is. Yeah, there, there are a number of projects actually that try to do that that yeah. that, that rank charities based on their transparency, I based on a, based on how much money actually ends up. Yeah, um, that one was on Sam Harris's show. Uh, um, yeah, I think. And he was on Joe Rogan a few years ago. Um, ago. I think the best charity in the world is a, is a malaria, anti-malaria charity in, in sort of n- northwest Africa. Apparently the, um, the Gates Foundation is actually pretty good. Yeah, don't, don't tell the World Health Organization that. They really have a problem with the Gates Foundation because they are effective. Because they're, they're, they're doing the World area. Health Organization's job. Correct. That's why. Correct. They're doing the World Health Organization's job. That's they, a they, pathetic they, organization. They, they actively criticized Bill Gates. For for controlling the the malaria. Yeah, but you want to know what nannying. Uh, if you're a nannying politician fight. type, and you happen to have a medical qualification of any sort, you become public health. That's yeah. that's what you become. People yep. who do public health are just basically uh, nannies with with a medical background of yeah. sort, um, and they are incredibly and, dangerous. And they never and they never admit how, li- how little they actually know. Oh no, and they or extrapolate the data. I mean, the, the sugar tax is is, a, mm. is another. I gave a, a, a lecture on the sugar tax uh, 
about a year and a bit ago. And once I started looking into it, and the evidence that had been presented to Parliament was all false, basically. It, it was uh, and, 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 a lot of work and, on and, that. And it, it was it was creative accounting with the statistics. Uh, the the actual drop in the, I, the I used, predicted drop I, in BMI. I used the, in, I used the government's own uh, research, the research on which it relied, right? and it said a its um, its assumptions are probably false. Right. But let's assume that all of its assumptions yes. are true. If everyone comes true, right. six hundred thousand people lose weight. I think. Then, then, uh, then. I'm not joking. Then, no, this was this this will be the effect, right? Yeah. And uh, this is how large the effect is, and it was negligible. Yeah, and it was when I say they lose weight, they go from a BMI of twenty five, twenty six, which is just they go over, from exactly over the line to, to just below the line to, to twenty four point seven or something so like that's that. That's like a one or two percent. It, it's, it's, it's effectively if you're meant to be seventy so, kilograms and you weigh eighty five. And you go to eighty four. Yeah, that is that is the effect. Best case scenario. Best case scenario. Of the sugar if tax. all your assumptions for, come true. Um, I was actually reading on the way over here. I was reading um, some stuff. They they did some uh, some work on looking into the strength of the research on which the World Health Organization makes recommendations. Oh, yes. And they say more than fifty percent of its strong recommendations are based on evidence with low or very low confidence levels. Right. So they. They really just make stuff up. Um, they have very, very weak studies, um, of, often uh, what they call ecological studies. That reminds me a little bit of that other, that other organization, the IPCC. What's it called? IPPC. Yeah, What's the it International yes, exactly. Panel on Climate Change. Yeah, exactly. Uh, climate change. Very low yeah. confidence in, very low confidence in polar results. Polar bears will be extinct by 2013. But, but we all have to do this. Right. Yeah. You know, Ivo… <laughs> You talk about things like confidence intervals, and uh, you, you, I imagine, understand what a p-value is, and, 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 and your average and a, politician and, goes, and a number needed right to treat, head. for example, in medicine, and I a, have no idea a what a p-value relative is. risk, and a, so p-values so are awesome. P-values can make you do anything. So <laughs> just depends which value you want. Just right? statistical values that basically, if you, if I give you, you a piece of data, a, a p-value says the chances that my data is correct, essentially, right. or wrong. No. Um, and good p-values are less than 0.05, which basically says there's a very low risk of me being wrong on what I'm stating to be the truth here, the truth of my hypothesis. Okay. 5% risk, basically. Um, and so 95% confidence interval. Right. Um, and then your confidence interval will come within uh, a certain range. So no. uh, if uh, your risk of dying in a car accident tonight is between – uh, a thousand to one and two thousand to one. That's your that's your confidence interval range, right? And you want small confidence interval ranges because if it's your risk is like okay. zero to two thousand. Sure. Here, let me, okay. Let me. So the point is, is you 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 have a sense of these these things. Um, I find that yeah, politicians, journalists, people who actually make the fucking well, well, decisions and write the news. About it. Let me let me give you an example of what they do with p values, right? And, and it gets much more complicated than than. Um, so I'm trying to really understand. But if you've got down. if you've got a p value of zero point zero five, right? Mm. That's uh, basically ninety five percent confidence that you that you're right. Yep. Right? That's one twentieth. Right? Now what they do is they take a set of data, right, and they run twenty different tests against it, mm-hmm. right? Simply by random chance. One of them will come out with the p-value that they want, right? Because it's a one in twenty uncertainty level, so one in twenty will will come out positive. So here you have your positive result. You say, right, this correlates with that, right? Um, sugar correlates with dental caries, right? 
Bang. So there we go. Sugar causes your teeth to rot. We now need to tax sugar or we need to limit sugar intake. Right. Uh, when in fact, uh, the, the work that is done on that is actually really weak. Um, it's far more likely that uh, dental caries is related to, to dental plaque. Uh, and therefore, that brushing mm. is will be far more effective than limiting mm. sugar intake. Right. In fact, sugar intake might not do anything at all. Right. But brushing is cheap, simple, but, and but effective. They, but they, so the government hates it. And also up to individuals. You <laughs> but, can't make but, money. But there's also the statistical <laughs> ways in which, you, in which you can – and they call it P-hacking, you know, or okay. P-value hacking, um, to get, to get uh, statistically significant results. So they actually want the conclusion and they just gerrymandered the data. Yeah. Oh, yeah, all the yeah. time. And yeah. uh, a, lot of the, a lot of the research data is so-called gerrymandered in the sense that um, there, there's a big problem in the non-publication of negative studies. Yes. So there's, there's thousands uh, of negative studies, uh, uh, certainly in the medical field I know of, but it, it but goes to all fields. Because they're not interested. So they find that X doesn't do Y. Even though we thought X did Y. Yeah. But it's not interesting to have a negative finding. Yeah. Doesn't right. get headlines. And then the meta-analyses after 10 years don't include those negative findings. I well, it just depends how you write your methodology. And, yeah. and, 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 and well, then there's, then there's the other thing. You've got big data now, right? So you've got lots and lots of data about lots and lots of things. Right? Yeah. And you can go and hunt for correlations. Right? You're going to find random correlations. But yeah. frankly, the way you should be doing research is saying, all right, we're going to design this from the from the – the start and how we collect data and so on. This is how we're going to do the analysis, and then we expect to find this and this result. Yeah. Right? Let's see if we do. Um, but if you go hunting through lots and lots of data, yes, you're going to find all sorts of spurious correlations. Um, yeah, and you can cherry pick whatever you want. Uh, the more and entirely by random chance. The more mo- lawnmowers there are, the bolder the men. So <laughs> yes. sell less lawnmowers. Lawnmowers cause cause male pattern baldness. There we yes, go. Exactly. Yeah. There we go. Like, Buy, buying Ferraris cause male pattern baldness. There we go. Like for example, the AgriSA comes out with one study mm-hmm. for the first time in twenty years, and they say, "Oh, farm litters are at all time low." <laughs> are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> well, and then the yeah. media jumps on and says, "Oh, here's a credible organization that says farm litters aren't a big but problem." But that, that speaks to a bigger problem. Fuck. So, so you obviously write about well, stuff that interests you. Um, yes. Because you get to pick your columns, I'm assuming. Yes, I do. Yep. Um, so you do write about stuff that interests you. Um, I'm guessing that a lot of other journalists also write about stuff that interests them. Yes. Um, and they may have agendas, specific agendas. And this they, is they, the, they do, and so do I. I mean, I admit, I admit that. Yeah, I, I, well, I, you see, I find that noble. So I think, as we do on this show, we admit our biases. Yes. Um, I would – for example, the Huffington Post, we cannot get them to admit their biases. They claim no. to be a neutral news source. There's no such thing. Um, no, there isn't. Um, and so it's a toxic combination when you combine someone who refuses to admit their bias, although they must have a bias yeah. and probably an agenda, yeah. and they cannot properly interpret data. Yeah. And then they put those two things together. So they drive an agenda without being able to interpret the proper problem data. With, problem with scientists too. They want to find certain results and they yeah. go hunting until they do. Right? And eventually if you if you look for if you look in enough data, um, you're going to find the correlation that you or want. Or worst case scenario, they're yeah. manipulated. The anti vaxxer, yes. the entire anti vaxxer thing yes. is caused by that. Yeah. They Manipulating know, yeah. data to show what you wanted to show. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Study, yeah. yeah. And frankly, if you go through the academic literature you can prove almost anything. Um, <laughs> yes. if if you're willing to rely on only a handful of papers. Yeah. Or poor quality, or poor et quality, et poor quality, etc. So you, so you have to go and look at the quality, mm. um, and you have to go and look at what the other papers say, you know, and and what, where the where the the um, the weight of evidence really falls. Yeah, 
But yeah, you need to know what you're doing when you read that, and and you actually need to go and read the academic papers. You know, not just read what people wrote about them, um, not just read you know. Uh, repeat things that you see on BuzzFeed. Yeah, because some of the scientific reporting is like way off. There was one, I think it was like farts make X. <laughs> and if you read the abstract from the from the study, it was about methane gas causing X, Y, and Z, which causes something else entirely. And the um, conclusion was had nothing to do with the headline whatsoever. Yeah, I, 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 the message on on pretty much when you read anything sort of scientists or doctors have discovered whatever they've discovered is to take it with like at least like a tablespoon of sugar. I would say salt, but sugar. How many cures um, for cancer? How many cures for cancer have they have they have they developed? But, well, this, the thing every is, week is, there's a new cure. I for can cancer. tell you, I read medical papers, scientific papers all the time, and and the reality is is that there's no such thing as a groundbreaking paper. They we find no. things in small baby steps, yes. and then after 20 years of research, we yeah. combine all of those baby steps into something. Yeah. Um, and, and, uh, you know, cancer treatment as one example is, is 60, 70, 80 years of research now yeah. where we finally got to the point where we're actually doing really well against most cancers. I think so. I think um, so too. We've yes. actually pushed a lot of cancer back in, in again. There were cancers you, but, but almost all the headlines <laughs> that say, oh, they, they found that this influences cancer and mm. this influences well, cancer. Well, marijuana cures it, doesn't it? Right. <laughs> it is, yeah, exactly. Marijuana, great example. Um, and, and, Almost all of those headlines are false. Yep. Right. Uh, it it simply but doesn't it, work that way. Clickbait, you know? right? Just be, just because you've managed to put some chemical in a petri dish and it and it acted against a cancer cell in that petri dish, yeah. right, does not mean that you have a cure for cancer. No, the human body you is know? far too complicated. It doesn't it, it doesn't, it doesn't work that way to do that. Yeah, gentlemen. Anyway. Well, Ivo, we've set a record. Yeah. Have we? Really? We have. It's I, talk an, to, it's, I talk too much, it's, don't it's, I? It's, uh, no, you don't at all. This has been a fantastic conversation. I really want to go three hours one day. Well, when we've got the time and it's not quarter to seven in, in the evening. We've, we've done, we've done an hour and 40 odd minutes. So oh, wow. That's, uh, that's pretty good. Ivo, probably t- probably time to wrap up see, then. It was time, it was time to get you in studio. Yeah. <laughs> when are you, well, don't tell. Oh, we, can do, we can, we can do just, this. We just a quick this question. Again. How's, Na- how's Nasna after the fire and everything? Oh, getting there, getting there. Not happy with the government response, of course. Yeah. That's why we fired our mayor the other day. <laughs> now that now the DA wants to fire the new mayor because DA is not happy with how the old mayor got fired. <laughs> the grand wizards weren't consulted. Jonathan. So, so yeah, there's a lot of ups and downs. Well, but, as long as the new in, mayor doesn't say they're friends with Israel, then everything will be fine. But in general, the town is recovering. It's uh, you know you can still see the scars, and of course, there's a lot of effects that'll take uh, very long to to heal. You know. You lose about a thousand homes or so. That's yeah. that doesn't fix itself overnight. You especially know? in a town that's full. Especially in a town that's full and and yeah. relies on tourism. You know, Indeed. I mean, when the fires happened, the, the, everyone cancelled the oyster festival bookings to put up people that were displaced. But of course, by Christmas they couldn't afford to do so. So by Christmas we still had people living in tents on the high school fields. Hmm. Um, so yeah, there's there's a lot that still needs to. That's yeah. only, but the town has been pulling together and it's, 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 the, it's recovering. It's, the, um, uh, reception by private aid organizations that came in and actually like solved a lot of the issues. I, th- I thought, phenomenal. yeah, I thought the reactions of private aid organizations were, were, were awesome. Yeah. Um, I'm not very pleased with how the municipality handled all those donations. Sure. Um, but yeah, a, a lot of people pulled together that, uh, d- during those fires. It was, it was, in a way, it was very touching to see. Um, how much people were willing to to sacrifice in order to help 
uh, you know, people in trouble. Yeah, and unfortunately, we need like that level of suffering to actually have a common goal. Yeah, <laughs> sometimes. 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 Yeah. Good to hear. It's fantastic. But it gives you hope for the human you. spirit, you know. Yeah. Thank you very much. Well, thank you for inviting Hello. me. What a pleasure, sir. Thank you for coming. Great conversation. If you're not a little bit more libertarian after that, well, I don't know what's wrong with you. And less sure about scientific studies. <laughs> uh, wasted an hour and 40 minutes. Please do find Arvo on Twitter at Arvo Vechter. And uh, please do read his columns uh, every single week on a Tuesday. Every Tuesday on Daily Maverick, yeah. And uh, well-researched, uh, very insightful, lots of fact. The stuff we really want from our journalism. Right. And if there's somehow a column in the near future that says podcasts are the best way to get messages across, we did not fund it. <laughs> Just but we to let you heavily know. support that. But we will heavily subsidize <laughs> it. Uh, right. So uh, enough of uh, podcast shilling. If you would like to follow us at Renegade underscore report on Twitter, uh, you can find us on Facebook, both the page and Renegade Report group to have uh, interesting discussions around all kinds of topics in the world and on the podcast. We really do appreciate you listening to us this week. If you enjoyed the podcast, you're always welcome to donate on Patreon. Thanks so much. Catch you next time. Cheers. is cliffcentral.com